Hello and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. I'm your host, Joe Loves Comics, and this is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics I've been reading and enjoying lately, plus occasional side episodes and creator interviews. This episode, I talk with Gorgon from the awesome Sons of Yonia podcast about the Venom run, written by Donny Cates, and mostly drawn by Ryan Stegman, that ran from 2018 to, what, like, 2021... That sort of started with Rex and that whole storyline and ended with King Black and introduced Null. We had Absolute Carnage. Uh, we had Ibn Quello on some of the issues that we sort of mentioned. JP Mayo and Frank Martin on like, inks and colours and casting cows or lettering, I believe. So yeah, awesome, awesome run. And they recently, at the time of recording this intro, are about to release a Venom the Burst for collecting the whole run. But by the time listening to this, It'll be a couple of months ago. It's interesting, the chronology of this episode's production is interesting, because at the time of recording this intro, the main episode you're about to listen to was recorded a couple of months ago. But then, so I'm recording this intro a couple of months after the main episode, but a couple of months before still when it's going to go live. So anyway, I hope you enjoy, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. First of all, Gorgon, I want to welcome you to the podcast. I caught up on the Sons of Mjolnir podcast recently. It's just another great, entertaining comic podcast. So I'm glad to have you on here to talk all things Venom and specifically the Cates and Stegman run. Thanks for having me on. It's my favorite run. So I think it quickly became like a, a staple among symbiote readers, heralded as like the magnum opus of what symbiotes should be. So I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. And when did you first discover um, Venom and the run itself? When was sort of your first experiences with that character? And you know, I started I started reading Venom as a kid, right? Like everybody else, I guess, uh, around my age or a lot of people my age. You know, I'm 30, and and I started reading Venom in stories probably around the time I was like 15 ish, I guess, 14, 15. Um, really started to dive into them as a character separate from Spider-Man and reading their individual runs and going back on it all. Kate's run, I started picking up pretty much right as it took off. I missed the first, like, three issues of release, um, but then immediately just started diving into it super hard. Uh, I was at a, a weird point in my life when when that run came came along, and I think it came out at just the right time, and I stuck with it the whole way through, and here I am today talking about symbiotes with you. Yeah. So it's been fun. It's, mm, I don't know about you, but with me, it, it was something that sort of immediately stuck out to me. Um, I got into it a bit later after it first started, and I just remember reading that first volume and just being blown away. I, I, I just loved it. And I, I was desperate to read more. I think I think for a lot of readers, the first volume, right, that first arc, mm. Rex, it to go back and read for a lot of people, I think made a lot of people go, wait a minute, hold up. Venom's attached to something bigger that's like intergalactic level. And it kind of caught everybody off guard by the end of that first volume where people who didn't read Venom comics were like, the fuck are they doing over there? Like, what's going on? You know, I, uh, it's, it's a good story. Mm, And because yeah, immediately in that first arc, it does get very bombastic and very dramatic quite quickly, especially 
with the artwork and it's quite a sort of a moody and rich tone so it immediately sets the mood and yeah it, it goes quite fast and it doesn't let go until the end of the arc the art i think you know having ryan stegman with donny cates you know now is iconic right when when you have those two stegmans done symbiote and spider art for years for all kinds of different writers different runs different events issues covers that's kind of his thing, right? He used to go by Venom Boy Ryan Stegman, right? Because of all the times he would write it. But his art paired with Kate's writing just became an instant match made in heaven. I Having those two together as a team absolutely just blew everybody away. And now we're all reading their, their comic that they're making together for their first indie together, Vanish, which the second issue just came out on. I don't know if you're reading. It's pretty good, too. So if listeners out there enjoyed the Donny Cates, Ryan, Stegman, Venom run, y'all should definitely check out Vanish. Mm, yeah, I really enjoyed the first issue of that. And I got the second one picked up the other day, Newcomer Day, day, and so I'm very excited to check that out. Because, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's a similar sort of vibe where there's something sort of like 90s about it, but um, in like a good way in terms of like the style and so, sometimes that that is what you want. You want something that's a bit sort of darker and a bit. It's like very exciting. And it's grunge. Mm. It's grunge. It's like it's like Kate takes that that grunge feel from the '90s and and writes it so well mm. in tone, in angstiness, in kind of like even the characters who have cheese that he writes have that very 90s grunge like you know that guy right we've all met that guy uh that's yeah mm. have you had much experience with uh, kate's other works he's written a lot of books um days, yeah so. I, i've enjoyed a lot of his stuff i've read a lot of his marvel i've read his guardians of the galaxy um i've read silver Surfo black which coincidentally i believe if you want to read like the entire null saga um is is where the starting point should be for people is his silver surfer black story um because that really is where it kind of kicks off heavy um uh, yeah i've i've read a lot of his work his doctor strange um i i like his doctor strange i know a lot of people didn't um his guardians of the galaxy you know it's a i don't think it's as strong as his venom it's still good um i definitely think alluing's you know uh guardians run has been kind of held above that i kate's himself has said in some other podcasts and stuff he's been on that he feels like he excels more when he's not necessarily trying to write large-scale team dynamics and is focused more on just a small handful of people and i think that really showed in his venom run right that that he went from doing guardians and this large-scale stuff to okay let's do large-scale but let's focus it on one to two people and i think that's what made his his venom really shine is a long scale, long term plan, entirely focused around one small cluster of people, specifically Eddie Brock and Venom. Mm, I've seen him mention that before about writing large teams, and yeah, it, it can't be something like Venom. He can sort of zero in and like refocus on like Eddie Brock and crafting that story for them. Whereas when you've got to juggle like a dozen and also different characters yeah it can't be easy yeah it's like you know karen gillen's doing man that man is working double overtime right now in in this this acts event i don't know if you've been reading judgment day 
I think you have. I, I feel like it's hard to to not read Judgment Day right now. And he's juggling writing Eternals, Avengers, X-Men, all these different stories tying in. That's got to be a mess and a half. Uh, as opposed to Kate's Venom run, he's like, I can literally just focus on 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 Eddie Brock's story here, right? And and only characters that are directly necessary for that story. And I think that that made it play out really, really well. Mm. I haven't been reading Judgment Day, actually, but I, I've heard lots of good things about it. So I'm excited to check it out when it's connected later on in either in trade or if they do an omnibus or whatever. It might be something I'll have to read. It seems interesting. It'll be a good one to pick up then. And yeah, so speaking of, in a way, of omnibus, are you going to pick up the... Ooh, I don't have... The omnibus. Of... I don't have the omnibus. I do have every single volume individually, though, um, that would be in... The Venomnibus. I have all of them. Venom Unleashed, uh, the Silver Surfer Black, which, like I said, I feel like is important because it starts the null run, despite that it won't be in the Venomnibus. Um, it's really important just to jump off there, um, right? It's a. I think First Host is important. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think First Host is important if you want to understand Sleeper and kind of get you know Sleeper's backstory. If you want to get big picture into it all, right? They're fun little side stories to read to to get the prime scope of it all. The nice thing about the Venomnibus for readers is it's a it's going to be a great cost effective way to get all the immediate volumes of Kate's run just smack there in one fat book for you, ready to go. Mm, um, exactly. So that's going to be, you know, the first volume from Wreck all the way through King and Black. Mm, and it, yeah, I don't think it's out until December. I think it's been delayed and pushed back a couple of times, but definitely, as you say, it was yeah, so but, uh, awesome. Yeah, that paper shortage, man. Mm, yeah, but w- when it does eventually come out, it's, it's going to be so awesome to have all in one book. So maybe being, when that's solicited, and being really excited about that. Big facts. I, I had it on my pull list and I took it off because I had other things to, to acquire with money mm. in life. And then it got pushed back. So maybe I'll get it. Maybe it'll be the first omnibus I pick up. We'll see. I mean, yeah, it would be a good fun first one to go for if you did. Right. It'd be very on brand for me. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, in that sort of, as you were talking, you mentioned first host, then first host at one point, which has a very interesting um i had a very interesting experience with it because before i was reading the main venom run i think i saw like the first issue of that on the this like the shelves when it first came out and i didn't have any poorest books that week so i just all grabbed it and started to check it out and then it was like fun it was a fun like five issue mini and then like a year later um i'm like fully into the the run i'm reading absolute carnage and then when, like, Sleepers shows up, I was like, yeah, it's that, that guy from that miniseries I read last year. So that was always quite fun. Yeah, it got a lot of us off. I, I, And then, you know, Sleeper was really... Donnie Cates does such a good job of writing because the way when Sleeper came into his run was introduced, it made everybody feel like Sleeper's going to be super key to this story, is going to be this massive player... Right. His very intro into the run is him them them talking about how they felt they had to come because they knew what was coming and they knew they'd be important. And then we don't really see them. 
through most of the rest of the run, right? It was a running joke on Twitter. People were constantly posting memes about, like, where is Sleeper, right? And tagging Donnie Cates. I feel like that man probably blocked the entire hive at one point temporarily. Um, I would have, or at least put us all on mute. And uh, now, you know, we're in the middle of this new run going on, and Sleeper has really, in the last two issues, become a crazy key player. We're seeing just how powerful Sleeper is, all the new abilities that that it has as a symbiote, um, being one of the youngest ones out there. It's got an insane power set. I, symbiotes have gone quite wild in the last five years, uh, and and I really like it. We wouldn't be there if it weren't for Kate's, you know, just taking the the full breaks off and being like symbiotes are separate from spider people. They have been, embrace it, go hard, right? Symbiotes are now tied all the way back to, to Thor saga, back when Beowulf was going on, which we got to see in Screen Curse of Carnage, and which we've already seen referenced in Donny Kate's current Thor run recently. Um, hmm. You know, it's uh, they're they're everywhere. They're all over the world. Symbiotes are bigger and better than ever. And it it just took Donny breaking the bricks and saying, "Let him be free." Hmm. Yeah, there, there's so much out there. I still need to read because even though I loved that run, there's still just a lot of symbiote stuff out there that I just managed to dive into. But yeah, definitely need to really like. I think when um extreme comment extreme. Extreme Carnage came out. I think it was the summer where King of Black had just ended. And I was like, well, I didn't quite feel like getting into yep. another event straight away, so I sort of left it. But I need to go back and read that. So I had good things. It's worth it. I think there were eight issues in Extreme mm. Carnage, if I remember correctly. One for every major symbiote player inside the story. Sadly, Sleeper's not didn't get their own issue, but they did kind of steal the show at the end. Um, and that's really playing important, you know, in the new current Venom run with where they're at now. Uh, it was a good little way to wrap up where are we post King and Black in order to send symbiotes on into the future, right, with Marvel and not have it feel like an absolute wait. Why are, why are symbiotes and so-and-so story here and here, right? It was a good segue to let them all explode, quickly deal with the aftermath of King and Black and move on. Mm, for sure, and that's something I, I still noticed when I started reading the new series, when the current run by um, Ewing and Run B and Brian H on art um, started, and I read that issue one, I could sort of tell that there were a couple of things that were carried over that had sort of happened in between the end of King Black and the start of that, which, which was interesting, so I definitely saw some gaps to fill then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was your favorite arc in Kate's run for you? I think, I mean, we briefly talked about it at the beginning, but the first arc is definitely one of the highlights, just because of how... Rex was a really good arc. Mm, just because of how, sort of, like, straight off the starting line, it's very, like, action-packed and very just... It's just such, a, like, an exciting and, like, thrilling introduction to the run and to Venom if you haven't really much read much of him before like I hadn't. I think also Yeah, it definitely mm. hits the ground running. Mm. 
Like Cates doesn't stop when he writes, right? Like he, when even take his, his Thor run, I don't know if you've read any of that. It starts off hitting the ground running yeah. right off the bat. And I think he nailed it right there on the with, with Rex. I think that's what got a lot of people into it is it didn't take time to establish all this other stuff. It quickly established there's a big picture thing going on here that's going to stretch out bigger villains at play, crazy power, but it's all focused here on the ground go, right? Like it's like answers will come later. We got to go now. And that's, that's how Kate's writes. It's right off the bat, just coming for you. Uh, I, I've, I've loaned my trades to friends. That's something that I do when I buy trades is I buy them for me to read um, for my favorite stories, or I buy trades for me to catch up on events or runs that I didn't have time or events that I want to binge instead of reading episodically period-wise, right? Like Death of Doctor Strange, I, I mm. knew would be important, and I didn't want to wait in between issues. So I just didn't read it. I waited until the trade came out, immediately bought the trade, and binged it all in one sitting, right? And I still think that's the best way to read Death of Doctor Strange. In my opinion, I digress. Um, but it's I, I give them out to friends, and I uh, when when friends of mine have borrowed Rex in particular, they they come back and they're just they have so many questions and they're so excited, and I I think that being your favorite arc is very on brand and very fitting mm. for for that run for a lot of people. Mm. It was definitely something that that struck me because I, I sort of thought. I was I was reading comics a couple of years before, but I sort of first started to get into weekly issues and things in 2018 around that time, and that's that's when Marvel did their sort of fresh start, um, relaunch, and like where there were lots of new ones starting. But the the Venom one wasn't something I sort of touched on until later. Was, I remember it was one of those things when I don't know why, but I, one day I was like, you know what, maybe I should go back and read that and. I saw the, the only the first volume was out of that line. And yeah, like that early on in my sort of comic reading, it was definitely something that definitely ran me and just yeah, captivated me. It was sort of like I said at the beginning, it was it was just something that made me really eager to read more, as you say, like with people that which is interesting also because then once lots of the early setup and baseline for the what happens in the run later on with King Black is established there. The second arc does get right. more introspective. And again, like you say, this, the similar sort of thing happens in the Thor run with Galactus in the first arc. And it, it's a very interesting show. Yeah. His, uh, his writing style just plans for the long term, mm. right? I uh, I like that he can plan an arc out for 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 four years if he needs to or plan it out to wrap up in a year and a half if he wants but he knows from the start where he wants it to go for the most part and i really appreciate that about kate's writing you know i it's similar but different with the current venom run right you have al Ewing and ram v both writing al writes from when the stories are super focused on eddie and his perspective and ram writes when they're more focused on dylan kind of scenario but you have two writers that are long game writers right they they both write for the long haul they plan their stories minimal like four four to five arcs out minimal right ideally when when they're planning a run that they're signed on to for a long time i so it's taken us like 10 issues right to really get answers in their current venom run and make it feel 
full circle in a way, right? I and 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 despite that it feels that from what we got, we got just as many questions as we got answers because they both write for this crazy long term. And it definitely feels different. It felt a little slower starting off reading, you know, their run with such a contrast in the writing style between Kate's and them. I, I definitely think as Venom fans, we all got spoiled to the Kate's and Stegman style for for four years. So Mm, sure. And then also, I think along with the first arc, one of my other favorites was Absolute Carnage, that whole event. Where... An incredible event. Mm, yeah, because I remember when I was um, rereading the run on the run up to King and Black, I, I remember there was a point where I just all reread Absolute Carnage just all in one go, like five issues or so. And then, like the th- the first issue itself is like split into three parts. It's almost like eight, like what six, seven issues in in total of like actual reading material. And it's just like some of the best parts of the run. It, it's exhilarating. It's start, but it still has those sort of like emotional cores of the characters. And it it's, it is very like blockbuster comic book in that the best way for sure. Agreed. I I think. Kate's had to come up with a, a a way to take this classic fight that we've had for a long time, right, of, of Venom and Carnage, and make it feel higher stakes, make it feel like it matters, right? Because prior to this, we had, you know, the Poisons event a few years before, and, and we had Kalidus and Carnage in space, and then we had, you know, the death of, of Carnage where of Kalidus when the body crashed. Um, and then that cult reviving him, I he he had to to do something crazy to get get Kalidus and Carnage back in a way to Earth in a sense, right? And really, we mostly just got Carnage back, not Kalidus, um, for a moment, mm-hmm. which is nice to see coming back in this current run by Ram. And it, like I said, he had to take a classic concept and make it feel fresh, feel new, feel high stakes. I one of my favorite moments is in that is when it toward the end, I guess. Yeah, right at the end when right when Eddie kills Carnage or for lack of a better term, right, and absorbs Mm. its codex into him. And it's he was faced with a lose lose scenario, right? Either Carnage wins and takes code the codex from Venom and awakens Null. And Null comes, and Carnage is this like Hell Prince or whatever, and the King in Black is here, and Earth is doomed. Or he takes Carnage's Codex and immediately awakens Null, and Null is sent here, and the Earth is doomed. Right? I it was a lose lose scenario. Only one of those scenarios did he get to keep his son, so he chose his son, and it's a uh, the stakes on that are still being felt today even in ram's run right and al's run it's a the man took a a really high stakes concept that that seems to have lasted the test of time i think absolute carnage is going to be held as one of the better carnage events you know when we talk about it in 10 years i really do yeah and yeah yeah i think um did you read any of the titans for absolute carnage what sort of reading around them? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. How how was it in in, in that sort of sense? Because 
as we saw that, and lots of community readers know, events these days can be very hit and miss in terms of the tie-ins. So, as someone who didn't really read too many of them, I'm curious yeah, well, to know. You know, I liked I liked a, uh, a lot of the tie-ins. I the tie-ins for me for Absolute Carnage don't feel as essential as a lot of the tie-ins for King and Black, right? As opposed to like. King and Black has a couple of, of tie-ins that I would say aren't necessary to read, right? Like the Union. I love the Union. Um, it was a fun little four-issue mini tie-in for King and Black, but outside of being localized to the Union, what happens there in Britain isn't really talked about or mentioned or affected in any other run, right? I Britannia is actually the first casualty on Earth when Null attacks, right? Because the dragons lasted down in Europe first and just instantly ganked her, right? And that's not talked about or mentioned anywhere else other than just in their little mini. The Namor King and Black tie-ins that we got, I received a lot of criticism because they didn't feel very important to the overall story. Figuring out how they tied into King and Black seemed a little hit or miss within itself, right? I the writing was just a little weird. And I guess a lot of the tie-ins for Absolute Carnage to me at the time kind of felt that way. Like they they didn't feel like they hit the big picture as much as localized. And I guess that's the point of a tie-in sometimes, but I feel like the the conversation on Twitter at the time regarding the Absolute Carnage tie-ins wasn't as uh well received as I feel like reading a lot of the king and black ones were right like we still to this day talk about screams tie-in in king and black or ghost writers had a really huge prominent uh thing happen it ended with mephisto's in charge of hell and has a part of the dragon that came from null right in a cage it has a part of a symbiote now why would why would Mephisto have part of a symbiote in a cage in hell? That doesn't sound like a good plan, particularly with one that's tied directly to Null, right? That just seems like a basket of problems to deal with later that I hope we get to see pay off one day. You know, I, the tie-ins for King and Black had a lot of high stakes to it, I guess, in terms of what was going on in immediacy and long-term, as opposed to the absolute carnage ones for a lot of it kind of felt high stakes, but quickly resolved in like a standard normal issue kind of way mm. it's just a very different tone um i i think i liked the avengers ones were pretty good um i can't remember which tie-ins were but there's a couple of them that deal with them in ravencroft and you have misty knight and you have uh man wolf right uh, doing the investigation and that directly leads to a little ruins of ravencroft mini that we got later um that was a couple of issues and it deals with uh fisk purchasing ravencroft manor him destroying part of it going through you know excavating part of it and while they're finding the journal that goes back to to when the country was founded um that was wrote by a man named Cortland cassidy Kalidas's ancestor mm. um and it turns out he was like the first serial killer right in the american west and he ran into these this native tribe that worshiped a spiral and believed in this god that would be coming um and he goes on this rampage about how god is coming as he just starts slaying the town right letting us know that the influence of symbiotes has been around even in the americas longer than we thought right uh, kate's run had massive impact for understanding how long symbiotes have been on the planet 
Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that's definitely a very interesting theme like throughout the run and throughout that era, thinking about it, when you, you consider things like not just First Host, but also um, Venom, that sort of Web of Venom issue, and there's sort of the other issues like that, they're just sort of expanding the lore and the sort of deepening the mythology behind the run beyond just the normal month-to-month issues. Yeah, it's uh, they've they're, I think I think a huge deal of part of that was it was almost essential in a way, right? Because a, a large theme of it is symbiotes are separate from spider people, right? For so long, we've had this this conflict between spider people and symbiote host, all because of Peter Parker's guilt from bringing venom back from space right and and it's this burden that he's carried on his own that he's passed on to to flash and and it caused all these problems with venom right like because we've learned that as much as you know you feed off the symbiote the symbiote feeds off you and and kind of takes in part your emotions and what you have right his guilt and his pain and his anger at himself and all that kind of amplified with the symbiote and that got passed through to Brock and it got passed through to Flash and it's the symbiote's been through a lot to make it grow and finally get apart from those people, right? And I think establishing that symbiotes have been here all the way back to like Beowulf era is important because it laid the foundation for that moment in King and Black finally or, or they're in Venom 200, the final issue, when he gets to sit down with Pete when Eddie does and gets to tell him you're you don't have to to carry that burden anymore right that's not your burden they've been here i you you can free yourself of that that's massive growth for both Mm. parties right for for spider people particularly peter parker and massive growth for for symbiotes to to kind of be out on their own thing right that's not your burden to bear you can be free of that let us as the host bear the burdens of how long symbiotes are here. And it ends with them shaking hands and calling each other friends openly. And yeah, Pete, Pete saying like, tell your kid hi from uncle Pete, right. Talking about Dylan. Yeah. I, it's this huge moment of growth. And I don't think, I don't think that moment could have happened or been impactful without adding all this giant backstory through, through all the minis and, and all the little attachment things of how long symbiotes have been here. I think it was almost necessary. Mm. That was definitely a highlight of Absolute Carnage and certain parts of the run where they have those talks between Peter and Eddie and the way he sort of showcases that relationship. And not only that relationship, but also how um, so like the dynamic between like Eddie and like the rest of the Marvel Universe, the rest of like the big heavy hitters. I remember, I think it's around... Like sort of like the Venom Island, Venom Beyond era when like between the two events when Eddie's sort of telling like the Avengers about Null and uh, how like God is coming and like it was all his fault and it's a very sort of interesting um like character to have where he's he's sort of far past those sort of villain days, but he's still not like one of the A listers. Well, like obviously like out of universe some of consider but so like in universe he's not he's not exactly going to be like an avenger anytime soon he doesn't, he doesn't feel quite yeah i don't know which is interesting because like in that in that run right there right in venom island you have that whole spot where cap takes him to avengers mountain so you can talk about nolan do his thing mm. right 
and Cap says that he has his vote, right? He and Venom has his, have his vote to be an Avenger, and and Eddie's overwhelmed, right? Because he's Eddie still has all that guilt, yeah, in his head of of who he was and and what he's done. And he has that part of the Carnage symbiote, you know, that he absorbed at the end of Absolute Carnage that's still there and, and ticking in his brain and talking to him and saying evil things and, and really making it hard because you've got Eddie Brock, of all people, standing in Avengers Mountain in a room full of Avengers and Cap's hand on your shoulder saying, you have my vote. And you have Thor, who remembers, right, Venom and Eddie and all that they've had in recent history, but also remembers who Venom was back in the day, mm. right? Back when he had his overlap with the Grindel and all that. And you have Thor saying, you both have my vote, right? Individually, not just Eddie and Venom as one unit, but as individuals. And that's kind of, I think that was impactful in a way that we didn't understand at the time, right? Because then it's picked up at, in Venom 600 with Cap saying, my offer still stands for you to to be with us, you know, and he says, thank you. But like, I'm old now. The weight of being God has like slowed my body. Let me give you the right man for the job, Flash Thompson. Right. And then because Flash is back and and now from that, we get picked up and Flash is an Avenger again in Savage Avengers currently wrote by David Popose, which is incredible. If, if you haven't or readers haven't read it, it's a super fun run. Um, yeah, it was it was major impactful, I guess, for a lot of us as readers too, to see that someone who we all view as good, like Captain America, can believe and have hope in us, even when we don't believe and have hope in ourselves, right? I think that was super impactful to see on the page, mm, definitely. And just a great sort of summary of just, yeah, like you say, Cap's character and what kind of person he is. I, I think if Cap believes in you, you're doing something right. Mm. Right? I it's uh Cap saw Eddie Brock in absolute carnage, right? When Carnage is banging on the door and Eddie doesn't have venom in it, right? Because they're separated at that moment, all hell's breaking loose. And Eddie just says, Pete, take care of them, tell them I love them, right? And like closes the door to the armory. And while all the Avengers are still in the machines trying to have their Kodaks strep from their body, no one else can fight in that moment, just him. And just as a man, he walks out, he picks up a gauntlet, and he picks up Captain America's shield and says, I can pretend to be a hero for 10 minutes. And just one man goes out there swinging against this horde of symbiotes from Carnage coming at him. He has to fight Miles Morales, who... They have a bit of a history, right, starting from the Rex run immediately that's this awkward kind of like friendship respect thing like I with with tension. And it's the thing is, he wasn't pretending to be a hero. He was being a hero. He was Mm -hmm. doing the thing. And just when he thinks he's getting swamped, Cap shows up for backup, right, with the Avengers and, and Wolverine and everybody. And he's like, hey, man, you've been doing great, but, like, why don't you take a break and let us have a crack at it, right? I, And that's, yeah, I Cap saw something in Eddie, I think, that day and, and knew from that day on, nope, you know what? Eddie's made a lot of growth. We should recognize it. And it's it's nice to see. Uh, I think for a lot of symbiote readers, you know, if you get on Twitter and, and you read a discussion about like the kind of people 
who love the symbiote stories, a lot of us have a lot of guilt and have trauma from from who we were or things that happened to us in life. A lot of us struggle with depression and anxiety, I, a negative self-talk right in our inner voice. And it's Kate's run is nice because I think a lot of us can relate to the way he deep searches into Eddie Brock and the emotions that it pulls out. We just all relate to it. So that whole cap sees, no, you are trying and you are doing good. Felt super prominent for for understanding how much Eddie has grown, right? Uh, as not just the symbiotes, but Eddie has grown. Mm, definitely. Are there any of your favorite arcs in the run that we haven't sort of talked about yet that I didn't sort of mention as mine? No. Um, I... I, you know, I, I love the Rex arc. Um, I love how it directly ties into Venom. I, I wish we could get like a whole five issue story of Venom and more of what happened with, with Rex post that issue, right? Because we realized that Rex Strickland didn't exist after that, right? The symbiote became consciousness on its own, took the body and rode it around, right? And then acted trying to save the world and the, for a country it didn't believe in, right? Once it was freed, right? For the next 40 years until it was just dying on a husk, I pretending to be a man when it meets Eddie. And that's that's kind of huge because it's it deals with the consciousness, right? Of, of symbiotes. I would have loved more there. Um, but the Venom Beyond arc, holds a really special place to me because it starts off with like him and Dylan going to do, I can't remember what, uh, uh, something about power or whatever, and, and deal with this stuff with Dylan and they get thrown into, uh, uh, an ultimate adjacent universe, right? Because the makers from the ultimate universe and it puts him back where he goes, but it sends Venom, Eddie and Dylan on this crazy like roller coaster through a dimension in an alternate universe where, Dylan became the problem, not the hero. And you get to see Anne. And it's so interesting because in their universe, right, Eddie didn't. In our universe, 616, when Eddie went into the church and was contemplating suicide and was going to pull the trigger, the symbiote took over him and in, in a lot of ways saved him, right? For the longest time, he felt like the devil came for him. But he realizes over time that it saved him. And, and, Anne's gone at this point, right? She's dead in the 616. As opposed to in this other universe, Eddie did pull the trigger. And Anne ended up with the Venom symbiote I entirely. And you have her leading this ragtag team of, of heroes trying to fight against this all-powerful evil version of Codex, right, that's in charge there, and, and restore it. And it's they get to have a moment in time that is where they are a family. And I think that's important, right? Because the the Brock boys haven't really got a lot of happiness or peace or moments to slow down. And, and since the very moment Eddie and Dylan met, they haven't had that, except for at the end of that arc, right? I, they get, it says like a few months later, in their universe time. But in our time, it was only like a couple of weeks or something, right? That they were gone. Um, Kate's Kate's is confirmed on Twitter before in comments. So there's a time dilation difference in how it moves, right? And so they, that's part of how come Dylan aged up while in the Venom Beyond universe and came out aged up because time moved differently there. And 
I don't know. They got to be happy. They got to have a family. Dylan got to have a mom for a minute. Eddie got to have a life with someone who he loved for a moment. I it's it's a moment of happiness that's much needed, I think, before they come back and are immediately thrown into King in Black and then straight into the new run nonstop again. It's a it holds a special place in my heart just because they get to be happy for a minute. Yeah, that was a good storyline, and it sort of, again, goes back to what we were saying about being able to balance that more action-focused storytelling with that genuinely quite heartfelt and emotional moments, especially, like you say, with, with the how it ends and when they just sort of stay in that universe for a bit and just have that time to get before going back to the King of Black. No. And the Reed Richards in that universe, I, I'm notorious on Twitter for, for not trusting any Reed Richards, right? I, I look at Reed Richards the way Americans look at cops, right? All Reed Richards are bastards. <laughs> but the, 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 the Reed Richards in that universe is probably the only Reed Richards I'd trust, right? He's old, he's crazy, he's a little cuckoo, he's a... He's he's definitely had his head banged around a couple of pipes, right? I I man's is a little off his rocker, but he's so wholesome and and friendship driven, right? You have a Reed who doesn't have Ben, doesn't have Johnny, doesn't have Sue, doesn't have all of them, any of them anymore. It's just an alone old Reed who's gone a little crazy as he ages, and he's just so caring charismatic entirely built on friendship and everything he does right i yeah he's uh probably the only reed richards i'd trust i so with that that adds extra points to me for that arc they i i was given a reed richards i'd trust and that's saying something mm. it is definitely interesting how um reed has played within that run or i suppose like a couple of different versions of him with the maker in the earlier and like the second arc, and then like you say in the beyond dark later on and how the sort of the fantastic four play into both events it's it's interesting so we've sort of talked a lot about carnage and sort of a bit about king of black and how did you think those compared how, when you were reading king black were you sort of thinking about absolute carnage or and like how it compared or what's your sort of thoughts on both of those events in comparison you know i um I mentioned this. Uh, I'm I'm pretty open about it on Twitter, and I've mentioned it in a lot of a lot of different podcasts and stuff. But I'm on the autism spectrum, um, and and so when I care about something a lot, I hyper focus. Mm. Um, and I'm not kidding when I say I read every ish from from the time Absolute Carnage ended through King and Black. There were maybe two weeks worth of time total where I didn't read the entire run every single day. Right from from beginning of Kate's run through Absolute Carnage, all the Absolute Carnage tie-ins, Screen Curse of Carnage. Right, like I was reading it all, all of it daily, and 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 fully consuming the whole run in its entirety daily, all the way up through the end of King and Black. Right, I I can remember in my brain like a lot of page by page. Right, what happens within individual issues because I just basically memorized the run. And so when I'm reading King in Black, I'm actively reading Absolute Carnage, and I'm actively remembering, right, the, the moments 
between the two. And I, I think the biggest deal is of the two is we knew absolute carnage would change things forever for, for where the run would go. Mm. Right. When you're reading King in Black, you know that this is going to change things forever after this run because the end of Kate's run is coming like immediately. Right. Like it's King in Black ends. You get them 200. Kate's is good, done with symbiotes. So it had a very different feel in that regard while reading it. We, mm. we knew that it would change. We just weren't sure how it would change being picked up by a new writer. Right. Kate's left a lot of change and a lot of big pieces in order for the next set of writers to pick up. I it felt monumentous because it kind of was uh and still is, right? For everything, this this whole run with Ram and Al is them picking up the pieces off of King and Black, off of Absolute Carnage, the whole that whole on and dealing with it and post in, in such a larger scale fashion, particularly with Al Owings, you know, timey-wimey time travel nonsense that he writes so well. Uh, it it just felt when reading King in Black that this was the end. I For a moment, it felt like Noel would win, and that would be the end, right? I think there was a moment on Twitter where a lot of us after the first issue were, I heard people being like, what if we were wrong, right? What if what if Eddie's not going to win, right? Eddie's dead now. I what what if he doesn't win? What if Kate's is gonna reset it and make Eddie a villain again or make Venom a villain again and Eddie dies, right? Whoever picks up the symbiote next is gonna be a bad guy because they're tied to null, right? For a moment, it felt like there was no hope. And as opposed to in absolute carnage, we kind of still had hope. Right. Despite how heavy the stakes were, how intense it was, we knew hope was coming. Mm. And that that first issue of King Black kind of hit everybody in the face, like, hold up. Maybe there isn't hope. Right. That's that was different for an event. I The tie ins for King and Black were coming out nonstop. Right. There at the moment. So if you weren't reading King and Black, you're the main run you were reading had a tie in for it. So you were going to read that issue with the tie-in, and then you'd be, wait a minute, what am I missing? So you'd have to go pick up King and Black and Venom, right? I, In order for the tie-ins to make sense for King and Black, you have to have the big picture. And I think that's kind of what made it feel different in a, in a large-scale way compared to Absolute Carnage is, like I said, the tie-ins for it were, were such a little hit or miss that you could— you could read the tie-ins and be like, cool, Carnage is taking over and stuff, but like he failed here, awesome, whatever, right? I don't read symbiote stuff. I don't care about Carnage. You could read the issue or two and be like, cool, we're winning, that's fine, and move on about your life. I King and Black felt so all-encompassing, right? That that you you'd read your your tie-in for whatever run you have and you'd be like, hold up. I got to I got to have more. I got to know what's going on. What the fuck is going on over there? I haven't been reading Venom. I have to play catch up. Yeah. Right. The amount of people on Twitter who who were talking, they're like, wait a minute. I don't understand anything that's going on. Where do I start on Kate's Kate's run? Right. And and would just mm. get after it was was huge. Uh, it it really did kind of feel like you couldn't avoid symbiotes in King and Black. I guess more than absolute carnage is the best way I can put it. Mm, yeah, I think that's definitely a really good way of saying it because, in some senses, 
with Absolute Carnage, it, it did feel more of like a contained story. Um, there was definitely, I, I felt like there was a lot more focus to it. It was the one I saw, like one of those like horror superhero stories. And also, I was just sort of thinking while right. we're talking about the Titans, sort of um, in terms of like metatextually, I don't know if that's the right word, but it feels like the right word, where with a lot of the Titans for Absolute Carnage, there weren't many of them that actually spilled over into um, main books. Because things like War of the Realms and even King Black, lots of events, they sort of interrupted runs to like cross over because that's what Marvel tends to do a lot these days where it's like Fantastic Four might have like a, a War of the Realms or an issue or whatever. But with Absolute Carnage, it sort of felt like there were lots of Absolute Carnage code on like a Mortal Hulk one shots and things. So it didn't feel like Absolute Carnage was as disruptive times-wise, whereas I felt like with King Black, there was a lot more of that, where there were a lot of titles that were getting sort of times within the run. Like I, One that definitely still stood out to me was the Daredevil King Black times. I didn't read many times for that event, but that's one of the ones yeah. I did read because I was catching up on that run. And how... The Daredevil mm. tie-ins were insane. That was just the way Zadarsky managed to sort of make it such an effective time for the event, but also make it so like thematically relevant and fascinating to his run so far. And the artwork by Tachetto was, I think, was just gorgeous. The uh, the first Daredevil tie-in issue for King and Black. I don't know how it was. You know, in you're in the UK, mm. right? Right. Yes. You're you're in the UK. Um. I, I don't know how it was there, but I know here in the States, that first issue of, of Daredevil King and Black tie-ins disappeared from shelves like overnight, not even overnight, within hours. Mm. Um, it was insane. I, I'm in Oklahoma where you wouldn't figure there's a ton of comic readers, right? People think of Oklahoma and they go, oh, dirt, farmers, rednecks, right? But we, we have a lot of cities and there's a lot of comic shops. I drove to six oh my comic shops the day that came out before I could find a store that had a single issue left. And it was a store I don't like giving my money to. And because it was so hard to get um, and find anywhere and he knew it, I paid $16 for a single issue standard cover day it came out he was upcharging because he knew nobody else could get him in town that he had more than anybody and it's and we were all paying it right that's just not here that's all across the states there were stories of people on twitter saying that that was a pretty common occurrence mm. that day i darsky's daredevil tie-ins really man they just hit hard mm. and i i Darsky and Kate's writing a story together, picking off back to back, you know, which we've had a bit of in crossover as as a different story that they write. But this is it felt uniquely very well connected, mm. I would say, as far as tie ins go. I and it, it definitely showed in the way people were gravitating towards it, how hard it was to acquire that day. It's definitely impressive and a testament to the writing to um, interrupt a run with an event like happens so many times at marvel but to make it feel so impactful and so good for both the the run itself and for the event to make it sort of achieve both of those is really something absolutely 
Mm. And because now you mention it, I can't remember. I know um, the previous issue, the previous issue twenty five, had somewhat of a re- revelation in it. So that was sort of immediately gone up in price when that went like that. But I can't remember the following issues being too hard to find. But maybe maybe they were, and I just got lucky, or I don't know. It's hard to know sometimes. No, I I didn't have any issue, you know, finding the the next couple of issues, you mm. know, I anywhere. But that that first one, it's it's like it came out at the right time, mm. right? Because Zarsky's Daredevil was one of the top selling at the time. I and the King in Black, everything going on made everybody want to buy everything. Donnie Cates, Venom Rise, right? To to catch up, mm. to to wait a minute, what am I missing? Let's get this in the collection. Let's let's read that. It came out at just the right time where all the hype from Daredevil's run at that moment and all the hype from Kate's Venom and King in Black mapped right in the middle. Perfect timing for that one issue and just made that first high-end issue of Daredevil so hard to find. I that's It's really, like you said, a good testament of both of their writing, right, and timing. They, they nailed that in the bag for sure. I know we've still talked about it a lot, but... Were there any other particular times for either Absolute Carnage or King Black that were your favorites that you wanted to talk about? Um, you know, Gwenham versus Carnage. Uh, yeah, was uh during King and Black was was huge, right? I you you got uh yeah, that was really cool. Um, the Gwenham King and Black times were were really really cool. Um, every, you know, it's, uh, she finally called herself Ghost Spider, uh, which was, uh, was a huge deal for, uh, her because it's, it's a first, if I remember right, for comics, for her to call herself Ghost Spider. Um, yeah. And that was really cool. Uh, but the Scream tie-ins, I think, I think mattered a lot. And I think the Ghost Rider ones and the Captain America all really felt massively impactful, right? The Ghost Rider, because of it, it picked off of Brisson's run, right? Which had ended at that time, sadly, d- during COVID. And it picked up off the heels of it to wrap up a few of the loose ends, right? Put Hell back in charge with with Mephisto. I, and, and it left, you know, a big deal for them to play with later, like I said earlier, with the piece of symbiote that Mephisto has in a cage. Scream was important because it, what Clay McLeod Chapman's done with Andy Benton has been, I would say, just as impactful to the character development as Kate's run with Eddie Brock. Um, took it, mm. took, you know, she she's coming off of being with Mania and then not having Mania for years and just running around with just her Hellmark. And then she gets Scream during the Absolute Carnage event. And, and then it's all about her dealing with all of her mental stuff in her as as Scream deals with its mental abandonment and attachment issues to its parental figures, right, together in order for them to grow, I it established that Andy Benton is canonically LGBTQ, right? That's that was impactful to to have in the middle of all of it. Um and then yeah, it just showed that like uh we found out that that the Andy shields her symbiote when she wears it from her own hellfire which is super cool. And we found out that Andy's hellfire with Scream made her a deadly 
weapon versus null because it's not fire it's hellfire right which is different um and and it was nice to see her get some recognition and have a, a super hard blow against him and then the captain america ones were i think some of the most cap things i'd read in a while up until this current judgment day run right and and the new captain america runs that are going on which are incredible by the way if you listeners haven't been been reading the two captain america ongoings we have i highly suggest you get on it um it cap gets a part of null talking to him right for a minute and and trying to drag him down and we see this man who is notorious for giving hope to people struggling to give himself hope and and that self-talk that he has is is diminishing but then bucky's there and so is sam wilson and they're like no we got you you always got us we got you and they help lift the man up and out and have him going right and it's yeah it's uh it was a huge it was a really really good moment i think i like the captain america one a lot uh, the Spider-Man one was really good. I think a lot of people really like the Spider-Man one shot from King and Black that we got right with with him. Pete, it's it's in the middle of King and Black and you kind of get a little more of Pete's dialogue and self-doubt and the way that he blames himself with that burden he's carrying. Right. He's blaming himself for Noel being there. Right. Because he he picked up Venom years ago. I and it's. He's having to to work through those motions and fight alongside like Miles Morales and Reptile and and Kamala Khan and everybody in the middle of of everything going on, and and just get it together. And it's a uh, yeah, I think those are probably have to be my favorite tie-ins out of all of them. The Black Cat ones were cool. I, I Jed McKay does an incredible job writing Black Cat. I I just don't like Black Cat. Uh, I know that's a huge shocker, um, but everybody really liked the Black Cat runs, right? The whole that we're going to steal Doctor Strange. Uh, you have this woman who's a thief who steals things from people now is trying to steal a person away from Null, right? Uh, that, that was really cool. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the one shots in King and Black really did a good job of, of just pulling the whole bigger picture together. So all books I've heard lots of good things about, but haven't ever had a chance to read or like, didn't read while they were coming out. So they definitely sound really interesting and lots of um, cool things there. So, oh yeah, the last one I specifically wanted to mention was um, by the time Absolute Carnage rolled around, um, I'd stopped reading the Spencer um, Amazing Spider-Man run, but I jumped back on it temporarily because I, I did really like those issues, the absolute carnage time issues where um, Ryan Lee is back on art because his carnage was just so cool. Like, it, it was just so awesome to see. It was so, like, textured and it was so great. Yeah, Spencer's done a really good job with, with Spider-Man. Mm. Um, you mentioned at the beginning you've sort of been reading Venom for many, many years now. What sort of other runs um, to, to touch on do you really like that you'd maybe recommend people? Yeah, um, I'm a big, you know, uh, like I said, the, the first host was a good little mini by Bagley, right? It, it introduced Sleeper into the into the universe. Um, so I got to give it credit there for adding it in. 
Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Bun and Reminder's work. I think I would put put at the top for me. Um, right, Reminder's Venom is is hugely important um, in in terms of 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 where Venom was uh, to understand where Venom is now. And I think Bun's Bun's work was really a big era of growth, right? For for Eddie, for Flash, for Andy, for for the symbiotes as a whole. It's, in my opinion, probably one of the bigger areas of growth there is. And 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 I am a bit of a Colin Bunchill. I talk about him a lot on my Twitter and on our podcast. But it's where we are today wouldn't be where we are without him doing all that growth, right? Realistically, when we look back at Eddie Brock and, and Venom and, and was Venom with Flash, whoever Venom was with, with Andy with Mania, it's the symbiote and Eddie have both on a been on a journey for a while of being more anti-hero than villain, becoming more of a hero over time, right? It's Kate's wouldn't have been able to just make that separation feel so impactful if we didn't have the foundation first, right? And so for me, I, I think Cullen Bunn and Rick Remender's runs on on Venom, uh, Toxin, Anti-Venomania, all of that together over the years, I think really have to have to be given credit because we wouldn't be where we are without them um so if there's other venom runs out there to read i highly recommend those uh you know um we have venom incorporated right from dan slot um back in the day and despite you know the problems with with venom incorporated a lot of people had at the time it still did a really good job interaction wise between getting flash venom eddie peter all kind of on the same page right it's nice mm. when they're all on the same page so you got to give it credit because it it really did pull them together in a way i don't think as readers we were expecting to see them work as a team that's you know now looking from where we are now right it it totally makes sense that's how we love seeing them we love seeing eddie and flash fighting together in the hive mm. at the end of kate's run right we love when Eddie and Peter are fighting together, we love getting to see Flash come back and do his crazy dragon stuff right together at the same time as Pete swinging about, kicking stuff, just being like, man, mm -hmm. I hate all this symbiote stuff, right? I, it's, yeah, it, it makes sense now in hindsight how well they all work together as a unit. And, and Venom Inc., despite what if people liked it or didn't, really did show off that, that they do well together as a unit. And I, I like seeing that. So I think those would be the runs if someone's wanting to get a little more Venom backstory in their life and pull in that I would say are key to the Venom mythos and, and Eddie as a whole to get us where we are today. Mm, yeah, I think that's a really good point, because if you sort of look back leading up to the Kate's one, you can see there's a lot of interesting things that are being done through the character and with the character in the top 2010s leading up to that run and it's interesting you sort of mentioned your line. Hmm, sorry yeah no go ahead go ahead no i was just going to say it was interesting when you mentioned venom ink because one of like the first single issues i ever picked up was um like part three or four it was it was like right in the middle of venom ink one of the amazing spider-man issues and like the a couple of months ago i saw reread it and it was like I, this was years this was years ago when i must have first read it so it was like i don't remember this at all but it was fun, so it made me want to go and like go and check out that 
storyline so day in full because it seemed interesting at least it's aged pretty well hmm. um i think over time right it's i think it's aged pretty well i dan slot's anti-venom with eddie as anti-venom as opposed to flash i don't think aged as well but his venom ink i think is aged pretty well given you know going back post kate's run i i have more of an appreciation for it post kate's run than i did pre kate's run um, and I mentioned, you know, all of Cullen Bunn's work with it. If y'all, and you mentioned War of the Realms earlier, a lot of people don't know, but the yeah. War of the Realms Venom tie-ins were wrote by Cullen Bunn. Yeah. Um, so true. if you guys, your listeners out there enjoyed, you know, Venom during War of the Realms, go check out Bunn's writing with Eddie in that, because the way, when you're reading it in the moment, you go, yeah, this is totally kate's reading and then you look at who ryer writing right it picks up off of where he's at with eddie and dylan so well and where he's at in the story that you go of course this is kate's and then you look at the writing and you're like oh this is bun i bun has a long history of writing eddie and and venom and symbiotes and he just took where kate's was at in his deal and said yeah man i got those issues and just picked it up and made it fit in so perfectly and I think that alone should be testament enough to to why his run would be worth reading. Plus, we get to see Eddie with 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 Venom. We get to see Eddie run with Toxin. I uh, you get Agent Venom, Agent Anti Venom. It's it's mania. It's it's such a wild long run. It's absolutely worth reading. Yeah, I remember actually because I've forgotten about those issues. And when I was first reading the run for the first time, I sort of didn't like really bother reading through them. But then when I was doing the full reread up to King Black, I um, went back and read them. It was like, oh, no, yeah, these are really fun. It was just really cool artwork, really good times for sure. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you quickly, what do you think of the Venom movies by Sony with Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock? I, uh, I, I like them a lot. Um, like, Unashamed... And and maybe it's just because I'm a I'm a big Sim fan. I like them a lot. I I is Tom Hardy who I would have picked, you know, prior to the movies to be Eddie Brock? Probably not, right? I but now that he is Eddie Brock, it makes sense to me, right? The the muscle bound jock look. I couldn't see him as our long haired, bearded hobo king eddie brock right, as we like to call him that that we got from Kate. Yeah. I, I I don't know if I could see him as that. I he has such a wide range as an actor. He really does. He's one of my favorites out there. I I like their relationship. It's very unique. It's almost like a mix of what we've had in recent comics with Eddie and Venom crossed with how we thought they were in the 90s. It's this weird middle ground. And I think it's important because I find people who who still thought of Venom as a villain right from the 90s and all we had there or like, mm. yeah, I dig this. This is cool. And I'm like, oh, you should check out the recent comics. And and people who who've read the recent comics, who watched it that dig it, are like, yeah, this kind of reminds me of like kind of back how it was in the nineties, but kind of what we have going on now, right? It's a good little middle ground. I the second one didn't hit, you know, how I would have wanted it to, probably, but it it hit a lot of things I liked. It the influence of of the whole clash with the uh, and birth of toxin right was was super impactful for for the storytelling in that one i suppose um you could directly see its influence and there's a 
they laid a lot of foundation, I think, in the second one to go anywhere they want to, right? There were Easter eggs to like three or four different major key parts of Kate's run with within the movie. Um, and I think that was intentional, not not in a way to confuse us, but just because after this, you know, it ends with Venom temporarily comes to the MCU main mm, yes. universe, right? And and then it turns out they were drinking at a bar the whole time, and then they go back, right? But it leaves part of the symbiote in the main universe. That way, symbiotes can come over, right, and and do their thing. And it's I think the reason that they left so many little oh we can kind of tell that's hinting and that out there is because I'm not sure Marvel knows where it wants to go with symbiotes quite mm. yet. And so they left themselves lots of avenues to go where they want. So it makes me really hopeful for the future. I The Venom movies made me really, really hopeful for the future of symbiotes in the MCU. I I do think God is coming to the MCU. Yes. I, I am. I do. It might be 10 years from now, but I'm a firm believer God is coming. Um, I, I think Noel's too too impactful of a character too big of a character mm. for now with them confirmed trying to plan things like 10 years in advance right the i think we'll definitely see null one day on the big screen mm, yeah the first one wasn't perfect but i enjoyed it and then i thought no and i thought the second one for better or worse sort of emphasizing it it made there were a lot of things um about the first one that i thought were just sort of made like more intense and emphasize more with the second one like for better or worse like um in in the first one yeah i think go ahead sorry i was gonna say like in the first one i think a lot of people complained that there was quite a bit of a tonal mismatch between the comedy and the darkness of it and i almost thought that was sort of more um prominent in the second one when it was like more comedic at times and more scary at times it was more like dissonant but still still a fun time yeah, it's a it's definitely an odd tone, right? I at the same time, I I kind of like it. Mm, yeah. I we gotta take take in the second one, right? The whole that is a red one, right? Is is funny. Oh God, yeah. I, and people made a lot of jokes about it at the time, but it's it's funny and hilarious because if you think about a lot of media, villains are regularly in the bad guy characterizes wearing red right the good guys wear blue or they wear white or gold but the bad guys wear red right that's that's a common trope we see in in video games we see it in in movies we see it in comic books all the time red has this dark aggressive evil connotation with it particularly when paired with black so it's it's funny because now we've seen it twice in comics right we saw it recently in a thor issue uh, we saw it in a Venom issue, wrote um, with with Al Ewing and Brian Hitch and Hitch's art, right? I, when when they go to this crazy future end of time C1, it's like, ooh, that is a red one, right? I, and when I read those moments in comics now, I can't help but smile because I know that they got it from Venom 2 and it's it's on brand, right? It's It's very excellent self-awareness and recognition that yeah, we regularly characterize red as the color of the bad guy. Like, ooh, hold up. I yeah, I like it. It's very self-aware. Yeah, I'm not sure if I quite thought of it like that. Um, at that point, but it's definitely an interesting point to make. Now you mention it. Is there anything else about anything you talked about, or just anything in general that you want to mention? Or man, I 
you know, I just, I, uh, I love Kate's run. Mm. Um, it's, a it's forever. I think, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's going to be considered the gold standard of, of what symbiote stories are. Right. I know a lot of people are not the wildest about the art in the current Venom series. Right. I see it a lot of, where people are like, I just don't like Brian Hitch's art. So I canceled the story. I, you know what? Art's not for everybody. I definitely have a better appreciation of his art after going snorkeling and like deep sea free diving off the coast of Hawaii and seeing like a lot of the floral and the fauna there. I feel like his art in the garden is very much inspired by like this coastal flora fauna. Like I, I was 10 feet down, 12 feet down off the coast of Hawaii, deep, you know, minor free diving in there and looking at the coral and just floating and thinking for a minute this is the garden. This is the garden of time, as weird as weird as that is. And I, I went back and read the volumes after that really deal with like the art in the garden. And it's it felt all pulled together. And I, I, I feel like that's important. Right. Because, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's important. I if you don't like his art, I get it. But I still urge people to definitely give this run a chance because it's picking up on all the big pieces from King and Black, from Kate's run, I this whole run is nothing but the aftermath of Kate's run and, and where it leads us for the future. And I really, really enjoy it. And I highly urge people to give it a chance. There's a current carnage ongoing being wrote by Ram V right now that is excellent. I Cletus is back and Cletus is its own symbiote. Um, separate from Carnage. And Carnage and Cletus are in a race right now to who can kill this dude better and ascend to be this god killer first and who can win between the two i it's a it's an insane story um i yeah if listeners out there haven't put either of those runs on your on your pull list please do go put them on your pull list or or catch them in a trade and play catch up because it's it's really fun and i can't wait until these two runs overlap inevitably yeah it's really cool what you were mentioning about the diving that's really interesting um yeah i you know i like to have spiritual moments almost in a way in the outdoors right mm. just drift and and just whether it's hiking whether it's free diving whether whatever it is when i'm doing something in the outdoors and i uh i don't know i'm i was like I said just staring at the coral and i i think i tweeted about it and i had this insane thought once i realized how i'm like i've seen all this flora before right where in art and i realized it was brian hitches in the garden and i I thought to myself in the moment, I wonder if in the garden there's new life forming that that even its own God doesn't see right now in the same way that new life is forming every single second in the coral and in the reef that, that we can't see, right? We're out there, we're observing it, we're next to it, but what's happening, right, that we can't see is constantly changing. And I, I wonder if if that similarity between the coral and the fauna of the sea and then that being the same kind of thing in the garden is something we're going to see in the future in this run, right? What kind of new life is forming in the garden at the end of time that Meredith hasn't seen yet, right? He's surrounded by it. You'd figure he would pay attention to it, but he's not paying attention to it. He's just accepted as it is almost the same way we're like yeah of course that's the coral reef but it's constantly changing 
And I wonder if the garden is constantly changing too. And I'm hoping it is. I, I hope I hope we'll get something crazy emerge that we didn't expect, that Meredith didn't expect. That would be nice to see. Yeah, that's really cool. The deep thought there. That's fascinating to talk about. So, where can people find you on Twitter and all that good stuff with the podcast and everything and all of that? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter at the last Gorgon um, because I'm the last of me. And then you can find uh, the podcast that I'm on with my friends um, uh, at the Sons of Mjolnir. That's M-J-O-L-N-I-R, exactly as Thor would spell it. Um, and we're by that on Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to people talk about comic stuff and nerd stuff. We're there, man. Same handle everywhere. Uh, find us online. Uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on, Joe. We're gonna have to have you back on ours sometime soon. Get you a little over into the Suns family for a bit. Yeah, that would be really fun. No, thank you for coming on. It's been a good time, and I'm glad we had this moment to have this chat. Hey, thanks for taking time to have me here. I appreciate it. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics.gmail.com. Additionally, if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general cool stuff to do with comics, you can check out the website for Beaders Thingamajiggets, the comic book store in Fort Collins, Colorado, and most of these comics worked at. And use Joe Loves Comics at checkout to get 15% off. I don't get any money for that. It's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to, yeah, check out their site and if you see anything that you like. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Joe Talks Comics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Loves Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.